Hello. Hi, Marilyn. Good morning, Dan. How are you? Doing good. Listen, I, I wanted to apologize. I wasn't able uh, to join you in Dallas uh, this weekend. I know you were there covering uh, the WrestleMania uh, event. Yeah, we, you were missed um, down at the big event in uh, Dallas where I was. Right. Reporting live from the floor. Uh, at the AT&T uh, Stadium there with over 100,000 other uh, people. I didn't know you were into WrestleMania, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Oh, it was amazing. Um, Dallas, what can you say? Uh, it's got an airport. Yep. It's uh, in Texas. Um, I think it's got, uh, it's got uh, you know, doors and uh, chairs, and they hit people with the chairs, uh, jump off a door. Right. I don't know. I, mean, I haven't seen it. I don't, I don't know how to get pay-per-view things. I don't know if I can even do that. Yeah. WrestleMania can be very exciting. It was very exciting last year. Did you go or did you, did you watch it? No, I watched it. Watched last year's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was the, I think that was the one where, uh, Daniel Bryan won No spoilers. Daniel. Oh, I'm using my clicky keyboard. I got to put this away. Is it, what is that? Which one is that? It is the DOS, ah. DOS keyboard, but the giant analog volume button on it that I love. <laughs> A friend of mine is uh, really into the clicky keyboards, but like the new generation that, that, uh, there's, Red key, there's like a cher- cherry, 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 cherry switches. Sure. All that. Yeah. I don't, I don't really follow the, um, I don't follow the trades that carefully. Um, I do, I do like <laughs> typing on it. I don't even type that much and I just, I just enjoy it. This one's fun. Right. I, uh, yeah, this is like the third one of these I've gotten. And, uh, I think I've mentioned it to you before, but it's, it's neat. It's a big full keyboard. I had one, I had a DOS before this that I liked okay, except I, I'm mostly a touch typer, but I also like to be able to see the letters and the letters on it were like weird glyphs. Oh yeah, I remember that. It was, I mean, I, 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 it only took like a nanosecond to realize what I was looking at, but it was still too much. So I got this one. I like it a lot. It's, uh, it's neat. It's got a big uh, volume, analog volume button on it. I it's got a I'm dedicated, a picture of that. dedicated mute switch, a sleep button, and then media keys. And uh, it feels really good. It's not quite as clunky clunk loud as other keyboards. Mm-hmm. It's more clicky click, but it's uh, it's nice. I like it a lot. Yep, 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 yep. Keyboards. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I you know I used to follow the wrestling when I was younger. Me too. And I've kind of gotten back into it a little bit. I'm, I still find it very very interesting. I'm sorry, Daniel Bryan had to retire. That was a very touching speech he gave when he retired. Oh yeah, Daniel Bryan. He's 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 a he's a gateway drug. That guy's amazing. <laughs> Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan. Yeah, the uh, the Yes Movement. You, you should you should. Uh, there's a really good documentary on him. He's he's an amazing guy. But he had like he's had so many concussions. He's like something like 34 years old or something, and he retired because he's just had too many concussions. Wow. Yep. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame. But uh, no, I, I uh, Dallas. You know, did they change the Dallas airport? Because mainly I remember being very confused whenever I would fly through Dallas. They had a kind of round airport. Yes, that is exactly what they have. And they still have it. They've built more of the terminals because it's the way it's set up is it's like a giant it is like a giant circle and then as sort of there isn't a hub whereas orlando is kind of like a hub this is not there isn't so much of a center point per se so it's all these terminals around the outside of a of a relatively elongated sort of shape and they keep I found building it, I found it confusing more. yeah Excuse it's, me. Oh, it's I the hiccups mm. are you all right yeah, I think I'll, I'll be okay. Can I lay down, or? I'd probably lay down. Um, yeah, I just remember their their barbecue was weird, and all they had was Budweiser. <laughs> yes, I think that's that's a good way to summarize Dallas in general. Yeah, yeah. Airport or airport food. Woof. 
I'm looking at the Yelp reviews for Dallas uh, Fort Worth Airport. Big airport, but we had no problem find our terminal. <laughs> yeah, thank that's... you, thank you, thank you, reviewer M. <laughs> All I have to say that the airport and American Airlines are both incompetent. Yes, hard to find power outlet. <laughs> I think Rorschach is leaving these. <laughs> review of airport, DFW. <laughs> October 1985. Now I sound like Selma. Hard to find power out. <laughs> Remember when he surprised you with the tackle box and the Connie Chung calendar? Hard to find, hard to find power outlet. Weird seating and terminal. No free Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> Coffee too hot. <laughs> Domestic beer. Not good. Not affordable. Must, go, must investigate further. <laughs> you know, anything's funnier when you... <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, and uh, you take anything, you read it as Rush Hawk, and it's better. I'm going to start reading my timeline that way. Let's see. Let's see. If I go and read my Twitter timeline. <laughs> I had a question to people about the PlayStation View. I'm just... This is not a reflection of any of the people writing, but I'm just going to just randomly try reading these as yes, Rush Hawk. Yes, Not here. Just tried at work. Displayed outside home network message, but still plays non-mobile restricted items. Uh, <laughs> they, they don't all work. It was all hot dogs ladies' fault. Uh, paging hot dogs ladies. People didn't listen. It made me think of you. Um, mm, 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 mm. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I know you're not watching Walking Dead, but the uh, the extremely disappointing finale of season six, uh, they finally introduced a character played by the guy who's the comedian. Oh, really? Yeah, Jeffrey Daniel Baker Wright. Uh, Hennepin. What's his name? Dan- Daniel Jeffrey, Daniel Bryan, Jeffrey Troutman. Jeffrey Dahmer, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. He has three names. Look at that guy. He's handsome. He's older than me and he's extremely handsome. A rare thing. Yeah. And yeah, both counts. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. You don't see that too often. No. Uh, yeah, he was good as a comedian. I like that movie. People are hard on that movie. Uh, we, we've talked about it. Not enough, probably. I like it. You like it, right? I love it. I think it's really good. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if something's wrong with me because I don't care that it's different from the comics. I just, I like it for what it is. Yes. And it is maybe, it's got to be up there in those examples of the thing I'm always complaining about, which is like, did you read the book? It's like, well, no, in that case, I did read the book. But, you know, the ending, I don't know if you could have done the ending from Watchmen, the comic, the graphic novel. I don't know if you could have done that ending. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, we shouldn't get into it, but they're both good. They're both really good. I thought, I, you know, that's, that's the Zack Snyder movie, movie that I like. Mm, the singular. <laughs> well, see, people are hard on him. Uh, did you go see the, the film? No. Have you? Mm. No, no, I don't. Do you have plans to? Well, like, like a lot of people, I'm sure I'll see it when I can watch it at home. Yeah. But same, same thing. I read uh John Syracuse link to uh, a pretty, pretty good, pretty, pretty good, pretty good, pretty, pretty, <laughs> pretty good uh, article. And you know, you know me, I don't like to jump on with the, with the blanket parties. You know, but uh, but it, it was a good. I'm sorry. This is what happens when I try to find things. Uh, oh, now I can't find it. Anyway, it was a really good article about like you know the Superman problem, and I thought it was a really good and lucid and not too like angry fanboy thing. Just a way of saying, hey, you know, Superman has always been like this character that like represents the best of us, 
that like part of what makes the Superman character that's just so lame. But anyway, I, I think it's 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 worth pointing out that like we need Superman, you know, sort of like I know you don't like Captain America so much, but we need a character who represents what we can be at our best. Like that's kind of what makes the funny books in certain ways good. I mean, I'm glad we've got you know, Alan Moore out there doing things to people, I guess. But, you know, but uh, there's something, I one thing, I, I hate to be an old guy on this, but there is something a little bit weird, sad, and depressing about, like, how these movies about comic books, which used to be for kids, now the, the comic books inspire these movies that, like, I feel really weird. There's at least parts of every comic movie that I know I shouldn't be showing my kid. You know, even the X-Men ones, which she's, you know, pretty fine with, but like, I would never, I would never take her to this. It sounds, it sounds so bleak and so dark and so violent. And it's like, there's a part of me that's a little bummed out that again, if you go back and watch like the 1978 Superman movie, yes, it's, it's still kind of magical. And they uh, mentioned that. Thank you for saying that. And by the way, I, I will add to our show notes. There was a great article. I'm sure that you read in the Hollywood, yeah, Hollywood Reporter. Report. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the inside story director, Richard Donner remembers meeting Stallone to play the lead, working with Brando and a near fatal knife attack. It's all about Superman. And this is a really, this made me remember it. And I'll tell you what, Superman, <clears throat> excuse me, the the original Superman from the uh, 78, right? Um, yes. I, I remember seeing that back then as a kid and just going berserk, loving it. And I, this was the first sort of superhero type movie I ever showed to either of my kids. They both seen it. And I think it was, it was the, it's, it's, I think it is considered to be the first both really good and big budget yeah, uh, superhero movie, which, you know, today that sounds so silly, but the idea of doing, you know, anyway, you can continue, but like, I think that was one of the first. Well, no, I mean, yeah, some resources it, into it. absolutely. And I, you just, you called it magical. I just wanted to reinforce that. I totally agree with you. You're a hundred thousand percent, right? It, it, it was a great, great, great movie back then as a, a kid who, I guess I was what, seven years old seeing that thing. And, and, and today I think it holds up and it's still fun and it's still magical and it is and maybe this is because i saw it when i was 7 but that incarnation of superman is how i think of superman yeah and i i, I love the i love the george reeves show when i was a kid oh yeah that was great too yeah for what it was yeah but uh, I'm trying to find this thing that he linked to, but just to, to repeat something else that someone said in this article that I can't find, you know, at the, at the time it was really interesting because, you know, 1977, 78, these were not great years for New York city. There were all kinds of problems. You have financial problems. There was the blackout. It was just, if you just right. you look at photos of, uh, there's some great sets of photos from New York in the seventies. It's pretty rough. Um, and so even at the time it was kind of funny to make uh, metropolis fairly modern. And fairly gritty, right? And, and then and they, they they have fun with it. I mean, a very I think even still a f- kind of famous scene is when Clark Kent has to go and change into to be Superman, who famously <laughs> runs into a phone booth. Right. He runs up to one of those then novel uh, phone public public telephones, that's right. just like on a kiosk. Right. And so he can't you know do his uh, do his thing. But they did great effects with it. I mean, it's a little it's a little bloated, but I thought it was very well done. Had an amazing cast. Anyway, I mean. You know, it's God. If there's anything that I think this episode is going to be about, it's like wow, times change. Oh yeah. You know, it's so it's yeah, it's so difficult to take the the template of what you know about something, even from like a few years ago, and try to reapply it. But I don't know. You know, one thing I like, uh, I think it's interesting on that that site that I talked about before, Common Sense, which is you know kind of a 
a sibling site to kids in mind. It's one of those sites that goes in and tries to help you understand if you haven't seen a movie yet, like what you're going to see in it. And, uh, one of the things that they grade on and, and common sense is a, uh, it's a secular site. It's not like a Christian site or something. So it's not, they're trying to say like, are there, you know, biblical values and stuff, but they have a couple little ratings in addition to things like violence and sex and I think substance abuse. They have a thing where they grade it on like, I want to say like role models or message. Right. And so, you know, I think an interesting thing to think about is like, you know, you, you got to make a PG-13 movie nowadays. Like, you know, I, I, we've talked about this before, but it seems sort of like if you put out a PG movie, people are going to think it's for kids and, you know, wouldn't want to take their grown up selves to it. Right. Yeah. So for example, I'm looking here at uh, Force Awakens. They graded on violence, sex, language, drinking and drugs, but they also, <laughs> they also graded on consumerism. Like, uh, oh right, how it how it treats that sort of philosophy of consumption of of things, right? Yeah, like, and and in this case, like, they're you know, there's all these toys and stuff, but they also grade it on the positive positive messages and positive role models, which I think is, I mean, obviously that's kind of a, that's a value judgment, but I think that's kind of an interesting idea. Like, you know, Scott Pilgrim, uh, which I love, the movie I love so much. Like, it's got definitely stuff in it you that's pretty dicey for kids, and it's got a lot of cartoon violence in it, but also kind of like uh, a good, uh, I would not call Scott Pilgrim a role model, but he's a flawed, he's a very flawed hero who in a certain context, like, you know, does the best that he can. It doesn't sound thought provoking. It doesn't sound fun. I mean, and of course, here we are reviewing the movie without having seen it. But right. I mean, it's it it seems like a terrible sort of dark, depressing uh and and all the reviews you universally have read of it are not that good. Like I said, like I still want to see it, but I'm not going to go through the acrobatics that it would take to be able to go and see a movie to see this one. Right. Well, like look at man of steel and how like the trailer for that movie was so good. Mm-hmm. And I, it feels like it really hit the right notes and feeling like, you know, Oh, this is a new kind of Superman, you know, in the scenes with, you know, him and his father and stuff, it was really, really touching. But like the, it was just, the movie was just, I walked out. I mean, it was, it was, it was tortured. Like you left, you left before it even. Yeah. I mean, we got a few minutes into it and headed out, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. And I'm not even saying it has to be all sunshine and roses and stuff like that, but you know, it's, it's, you know what it is. I mean, if I, I guess in my gut, part of it is it's the same concern I have with Marvel where I understand Marvel's a business, like they've got stuff they need to do, but there's this niggling feeling that a lot of even casual comic fans have which is that like do they like this for the same reasons that we like this and sometimes the answer seems to be very clearly no you know what i mean yeah so uh yeah times of confusion well i mean you know there's some there's a lot in here for us to sort of think about and talk about and it's like i'm i'm very much aware that the things that we liked when we were young will eventually be sort of you know they they won't they won't fit into our scheme of the world anymore because the world kind of keeps changing and the things that we thought were cool and the things that we liked those things you know like maybe they're not so cool anymore or maybe it's time to to redo them like they keep coming out with remakes of movies and remakes of things and like i think ghostbusters is probably a good example because Although I'm very cognizant of the fact that I was a little kid, really, I was probably, 
I don't know, 11, 12 years old or whatever when that movie came out, I think, Mm -hmm. that, you know, but like that doesn't feel like that long. On the one hand, yes, it feels like a million years ago. The other one, it's like, it's still a good movie, isn't it? Like it still is a fun movie the way that it was. It almost feels like, wait a minute, they can't remake that yet. But then when I, I actually, after thinking that, it's 30 years old. Right. It's 30 years old. And going back and looking at how long it is between typical time between like an original movie coming out and a remake coming out, that that's, that is the right length of time, in fact. And, and maybe even less time than that is okay. And I don't know. Like it, there was something that just kind of irked me about it. Like after seeing the preview, I thought, okay, this, this, the effects look great. The people in it look great. My kids are both. Love the preview. So obviously it, it's the right kind of thing to do, but there's something about it that kind of like irks me about it. like, no, nah, it's not, it's not time for a remake of this movie. The movie's still good. Yeah. And this, this will shade into some of the stuff. Well, it seems like we end up talking about media a lot on here. Um, yeah. maybe because I don't know, it's something we, we, we both like and we're both thinking about and there's so many different aspects to it. I don't mean to turn this into like a whole show about media. There's lots of stuff about that out there, but you know, when we think about stuff like how you do, what you decide to make, how you decide to make it, who you're targeting with what you're making, I mean, there are two, you know, seemingly like fairly clear patterns. One is that like people will pay for stuff in a real different way today than oh, they yeah. used to. Oh yeah. But but also that you know you can go in and look at the box office numbers on like how many of the highest grossing movies are you know, uh, a sequel or a reboot. And in the same way that like in music, a lot of the money getting made is through like, you know, re-releasing stuff or greatest hits or box sets or remasters and all of this stuff. And I mean, I'll just, my, my little bit of old man stuff here is that that's why sometimes I'll come across something that really it's a new thing and it may not even be a big thing, but it's a fairly, it's an, it's a, it's like a, it's a new thing. I mean, even something like, uh, that movie Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Did you ever see that? You know what? I've I've not seen that. I, I uh, I've heard, everyone has told me that I should see it, but isn't it like really dark and kind of violent? And oh, it's incredibly dark and violent. Yeah. But it's also I thought it was very well done. Now I I've never read those books. I didn't see the original one, foreign language uh, version. Oh, right. <clears throat> but uh, I liked it a lot, and I I didn't always know where it was going. And even though it was based on a book, I, I think it's a Fincher movie, and. Uh, it really, it was a, it was its own piece of art that I thought was very, very well done. Last night I watched a movie. I was trying mightily to f- remember who told me about this movie, but uh, it's this movie from, oh God, I'm going to screw this up. I want to say Sweden, Denmark, Norway, I forget, uh, called Headhunters. Oh. And all I'm going to say is like, uh, just go, just, you know, don't go read about it. Go, go, go see it. But it's one of those movies where <clears throat> it was came, you know, came well recommended. It's dubbed. The version I have is dubbed, not, um, subtitled, but it's, you know, it's well done. But I, I had no idea where this movie was going and it, it was constantly going into places I didn't expect. And, uh, you know, it just, I guess what I'm trying to get at is it feels like a relatively rare thing nowadays to find something that is really that feels really new or different or isn't you know a franchise or something like that and there's nothing against that i mean I, i'm sitting here with all these marvel figures here like i like franchise stuff I, it's, I enjoy it it's comfort food but uh but i still now it feels more valuable than ever when i come across something that could be somebody's first you think about something like district nine 
and like the tortured history of that movie and like how it was going to be like a Halo movie, but then they ended up and District Nine is it's so weird and so good and so well done. And but you know it's one of those movies that comes along like what like 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 Blade Runner or like one of those real like wow I can't believe nobody's ever done something quite like this before in this particular way. But you know those kinds of auteurish exercises don't get the same. I mean they may eventually you know burnish someone's reputation. But then what did that guy do after District Nine? He did what Elysium, and he did uh, that Chappie movie that a lot of people didn't like. Right, right, right. And so I don't know. I don't know. We got a lot of weird stuff to talk about, but, but I think we have some sponsors this week. Would you like to tell me about something that you like? Sure. I'd like to tell you about Quip. Q-U-I-P. Quip. Quip. A Quip has taken it upon themselves to do something that many, I think, would have, uh, would have agreed was a worthy, a worthy endeavor, and many other people might have said, this seems really hard to do. And they, I think they've done it, and I think they've done a great job of it, and uh, that's, that's what I'm going to tell about. Quip. Q-U-I-P. Quip.com. Basically, they they came to the conclusion that a lot of the tools that we're using, they were built back in, speaking of the old days, right, Merlin? They were built back in in the old days way, way, way long time ago when email was still a new tool, when email was a great tool to use to discuss everything. And so if you were working on a document or collaborating with someone else, you would start this like long email conversation with other people. Well, we should do this. Okay, I'll go and do that. And like, here, here's a copy of the, here's a copy of the document. And they would edit it and then they'd send it back and you would track your changes and all of this other nonsense that we would do to try and create these documents, uh, collaborated style things that it just doesn't work. And then they kind of paid attention and said, you know what people like to do? They like to talk about stuff. They like to, when they're working together, they like to have little chats and little discussions around these different things that they're doing. Not one place in a, in a giant email stack that you'll never get through and that you'll get left out on. But no, we can create these living documents. These documents where people can go in and collaborate with chat right there on that one document. So what they did is they built all of this as like a really smart suite of applications online. They all work together. And they rebuilt this productivity suite from the ground up because these old tools are built on old paradigms, old technology stacks in a non-mobile era. They don't meet the needs of today's teams Quip stuff does exactly that. And they've spent a ton of time making this stuff just all work really, really well together. And they say in, in, in this copy that I'm looking at here, they say, and, and I think it's true, I've used the app, that they are passionate about the intersection of communication and content creation and the nuance that's involved in all of that. So when you go in there and you create the content, the words, the images, the spreadsheet data, this can become the communication and it makes everything clear. And they've got over a million users and thousands of teams that are using these living documents. So go check it out. It's equip.com, Q-U-I-P.com slash back to work that will support the show and join companies like Instagram, Pinterest, CNN, Quora, New Relic, Instacart, even Stripe is using this, so check it out. You can use it too. Quip, Q-U-I-P, quip.com, slash back to work. Thanks very much to them for supporting Merlin Mann and the Back to Work program. Thanks, Quip. Just uh, looking at some more uh, reviews of the Dallas airport. And there's, you know, it's, circ- <clears throat> it's, it's oval. It's uh, circular. Bad experience yesterday at budget counter. <laughs> Was offered an upgrade to a larger car by counter employee since I'm a tall person. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, this airport is the pits. <laughs> it's the most disorganized, difficult to navigate airport I've ever experienced. I'll tell you uh, the downside of DFW. Yeah. The downside of DFW is 
you can walk, but a lot of the time, if you if you land and you're like in Terminal B, and you want to get to Terminal A, you actually might. And this maybe isn't a an exact example, but you you would essentially have to ride the train thing from Terminal B through Terminal D to the uh, to the through the empty terminal back right. through E back through C to A. So it's like even though you can essentially see Terminal A from Terminal B and it looks like it's across the street, you've got to take a ten minute tram ride around to every other terminal before it gets to the one that you want. It's almost like a, like a clock face. Yeah. And I, I, if I remember, I feel like I remember one time thinking I should take the little train <laughs> and I ended up like going outside of the airport <laughs> Yeah, and it was, and I started feeling like I was some, like on some like a uh, hallucinogenic Disneyland no, ride. That's what it looked like. Especially... Like you're going through a parking lot and you're like, <laughs> yeah. sure this is necessary. <laughs> no, you go, you go through the parking lot. Absolutely. You go through the parking lot and you go, actually go over a point where you see the airplanes like landing essentially like right over the highway and over where, yeah, it's very, very weird. But if you're not familiar with the airport, you know, I'm thinking of the example of a clock face Yes, where, you know, you could ride on the minute hand (laughs) to get from uh, like nine to seven. Right. Or you could just walk two clicks (laughs) and get there a lot faster. Yes, correct. That was an analogy. It's good. It's a good one. Okay, we've got, I think we've got kind of two, uh, do you need to keep it to an hour today? No, no, I was just saying that, you know, like. Yeah, for the people. For the humans. Yeah, because we're not, we go, well, hard to do it in an hour, but we might, you never know. Yeah, I mean, no, uh, there's got, no, there's no rule. I had two um, topic things, and then we've got some feedback uh, from uh, listeners. Let's see. Oh, yeah, yeah, I want to promote something. Uh, just, just remind everybody that the Ungainly X-Man meetup. Ooh is uh thursday night at two cats comics thursday the diggity seventh thursday the seventh come up two cats comics at uh, 7 30 you can go to merlinm.com slash meetup for more details on that please come out uh it's a nice group of people and uh i like to support that store uh that's all i want to say about that Uh, okay then okay then every Uh, morning you watch it every morning my kids watch it every morning before i even wake up before school they're watching before school they put this on and I'll come downstairs and it's, it's, you know, it's the fight scene or it's the chase scene with the dogs or, you know, I mean, every morning. Doctor says there's something wrong with my semen. I, you know, and I suppose they're watching it in the afternoon too. Just leaving it on all the time. It's just on, on like repeat that and, and adventure movie. time. And then the most bizarre thing, speaking of media, since this is the, the 2016 media roundup. Data's referring to the movie Raising Arizona. Raising Arizona. Uh, the other thing that, I don't know how my wife found this, but on YouTube, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put these girls into the show notes. There, it's, yes, Disney Toy Fan YouTube. I'm clicking, I'm, I'm, I'm loading. Mm-hmm. Disney Toys Fan on YouTube. These are, these are uh, some, some women who uh, dress up as Disney characters. Hmm. And then they, uh, they do different things. Like they will taste different foods. Jelly beans is a popular one. They will have different smoothies. They will eat different, they will consume different foods. And react to the different foods, especially if they're weird flavors. In character. In character. Oh, this is weird. And then, uh, then they they will, and they're so they're cos they're cosplaying. 
as the different characters. Then somehow, and I don't know how this works, but if you put stuff on on YouTube uh, on on like an Apple TV, there are like related videos that somehow also can auto play. And there are these videos. I'm not sure what who Is makes this a sexy them. thing. The sexy thing, Dan. It's not to my four and a half year old daughter. Okay. But I mean, if you're there by yourself at night watching it and, and there's no kids around, it could, I suppose, become that. Okay. I wouldn't know. But, uh, this is, uh, this is interesting. Eating, eating chubby bunnies. Yeah. Popcorn. But they just, they have their videos get millions of views, millions of views, and they have more than half a million subscribers. The one where they eat with their feet has done very well. <laughs> is are you really? Are I'm they just doing that? The, uh, yeah, I'm just looking at the page. Well, they a pregnant uh, Elsa. Yes, and so then there are these other videos that I don't think they do, but that are related somehow. In addition, they they will also review the toys, unbox. It's like unboxing toys of uh, Disney toys. They do a lot of that. Anyway, there's this other video where I don't understand this, but people will dress up as like they'll have like a Disney princess who's married to Spider-Man, who's dressed up in a Spider-Man costume. And then the protagonist uh, will be usually the princess who will then like, they will have to fight the antagonist who frequently is the Joker. Okay. Now I'm, I know you don't keep up with it, but the Joker is DC Uh and Marvel is, uh, is Spider-Man. Oh yeah. Right. right. And yet they don't care about that. They don't care about that. They'll be in the snow They'll be running around outside. It's and it's all music. There's no dialogue, and it's mind-bendingly strange. And my daughter watches this stuff and loves it. And I don't know, am I a bad parent? But like all of this is like I used to watch cartoons all the time, and like now this these YouTube channels really are like channels. Yes, that they watch, and it's just it's ponderous, man. Uh, it's yeah. This is um, this is quite a thing. They have uh, lots of subscribers. Uh, yeah, look at that. You know, yeah. And there, I I will say the one that I'll I'll put in uh, the one that I was thinking of is the Elsa and Anna Bean Boozled Challenge, where they uh, they taste barf, baby diapers, dirty socks, and bad egg jelly beans. Hmm, this is this is very European, Dan. Yeah, it's American, but... Yeah, but I mean, this, this has a European sensibility. Okay. I'm going to call this the, uh, a European bachelor show. <laughs> I, can, I can see... Who was that? What was that one uh, woman that used to have the morning show uh, for kids, ostensibly? Shusha? Yes, yes. How come you knew? Exactly, yes. I thought she was totally hot. I'd yes, yeah. I used to watch that show. Who, what was her She was naughty. She had a kind of naughty thing going on. Yeah. yeah she hosted a, uh, something like uh, Univision or one of those, or... Uh, you know, one of the Spanish language, the big Spanish language uh, network in the eighties. Yeah, how do you spell Shusha, that? Shusha, X U X A. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, yeah, throwback. Yeah, and they'd have like furry, furry yes, guys dancing that's around. Her. Yes, there's Shusha. Yep. Wow, fifty three. Look at that. Mm, I forgot how much I liked her. I liked Shusha a lot. Mm-hmm. Buenos, what, what has happened to the show? Merlin? Buenos dias. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> Your, European bachelors. Yeah, that's our demo. Yeah, uh, <laughs> just uh, some other quick things along the way. Uh, several people have written in uh, to tell us about a uh, little trick you can do on your uh, iOS device to change the brightness. I just have to say yes. that the first result when you you search for Shusha, 
the first video result is Shusha trampoline episode. Mm. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I, I bet you that's a pretty popular one on the yeah, forums. I, I bet that so. one gets uploaded a lot. Shusha, Shusha, <laughs> is that a um, euphemism? <laughs> Shusha. Crookie Crookie. That's uh, Shusha uh, 1986. Oh, my. Crookie Crookie. Uh, listener Patrick and several others have uh, written to tell us about a trick using, I think, the accessibility settings on your iPhone where I tried this. I found it kind of confusing, but I get the value of it. Basically, you go into, I think, accessibility. And you turn on Zoom and you get the ability to do a gesture on your iPhone that instantly turns it to super low brightness. And I right. think back. And I put a link to, I think this is the right thing. I put a link into an iMore article about how to do that, if you want to do that. I don't know. I guess it's weird. I get mixed in. I had, I had, like I said last week, I had turned on night shift to come on automatically at 7 p.m. and turn off at 7 a.m. And I think I still really, I think I still like it. When I'm I, still liking it. When I turn it off, it feels really blue. There were a few people that uh, reached out to me with concerns. Hmm. And their concerns were that they did not have the sunrise and sunset option on their location turned off. And that's exactly right. If you turn off your location, which I think there's a lot of really good reasons to turn off your location uh, unless you need it to be on. Really? Yes. uh, That, that uh, you will not see the option for sunrise and sunset. You will, you will. So doing, doing Merlin's life hack of setting it to times is more reliable. But yes, I'm, I'm a big fan of turning location Interesting. off. Interesting. Well, I don't think I... Do I have sunrise? I don't have sunrise sunset. I don't think. That's interesting. Have you seen the thing? Somebody was, was pointing this out uh, recently that if you go into general and you go into... I think it's... Maybe it's under privacy and location and you scroll all the way down. Do, do you know that it's tracking unless you... I, I have mine turned on, but I guess you can turn it off. It'll track like where you go frequently. Have you seen that? Um, it's kind of neat, I think. I don't know if I've looked at that. I definitely know that if you run Apple Maps, that you'll get that little alert that's like 18 minutes to the office or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. So if you go to, uh, you don't need to do this right now, but if you just, for, for listeners, you go to settings, privacy, location services, scroll, 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 all the way to the bottom, go to system services, and then click on frequent locations and it'll show you and then you can click again and it'll show you places you've been a lot and which times you went there is that interesting yes i guess yeah all right you can turn it off turn it off if it freaks you out um hmm what else did i want to mention so thank you to listener patrick et al for telling us about that i'm sure it's gonna be very useful for some people uh this is a curveball for you and you don't have to answer this listener eli wrote in to ask you about your use of the atom editor and yes. whether you also use any kind of an IDE alongside of that. Dan, do you use an IDE apart from uh, Atom Editor? I don't. I, I generally uh, don't need an IDE since I'm doing, I'd say, 90% of the code that I do is Ruby on Rails. So uh, I know there are IDEs for Ruby on Rails, but I don't I don't require that in any way. And Atom is great. You need a pretty, pretty... Pretty, pretty powerful computer to run Atom, I've found, and I still use TextMate because of that. Um, especially on my, you know, now I'm, I'm, and we should probably follow up about the RAM thing because I got a lot of feedback about the RAM thing when I was talking about how my my MacBook Pro is always maxed out of RAM, but. Uh, especially on that, I find that I, I will use TextMate a bit more. And I still, there's something, it's something weird, but I just, TextMate 
it's a very comfortable kind of thing for me to use. Like I just, I feel very much at home in TextMate and yeah, all its little yeah. quirks and idiosyncrasies. I've, I've gotten used to them and it is a very, very fast editor. Uh, it really is. And so, although I, I love Adam, I still find them back and forth between Adam and, and TextMate depending. So the RAM thing, I think I had mentioned this last episode that I was running one of those strange little like RAM status things. Like an and, I- iStat type and, thing? Yeah. And, and it was showing I was always at 99% RAM. And a handful of people contacted me to say, well, that it, it's okay that you're at 99% RAM. You just want to see things like you want to look at activity monitor and you want to look at something called memory pressure, which is, I guess, showing how hard things are being swapped. I'm probably explaining this the wrong way, but bear with me. It, that your um, the memory pressure represents how hard that RAM is being used and utilized, and whether it, things are swapping out a lot or not. And uh, and and basically, so I did I did a little test of this, and I found that I'm always the, the memory pressure stayed in the green. It shows one of these little graphs on the bottom stays in the green most of the time and people who several people had wrote in and said if it stays in the green then it's okay it's perfectly okay don't worry about it if it's in the green a lot of the time uh but running the same apps in the same exact setup like at the same time with the same files loaded and stuff on this mac pro compared to the macbook pro which you know the mac pro is a lot better in a lot of other ways but it has 16 gigs of ram as opposed to the 8 gigs uh it uh, you know, it its physical memory uh, is always over the eight gigs. It's always over eight gigs doing the same stuff. So I know that what I'm doing that it's at least related to RAM in some way. But overall, the machine is just it's just slow. Uh, in in general, it's much much slower. So anyway, I know that's kind of a tangent, but I'm looking no. forward to seeing what they come out with if they come out with new ones in June. My big fear is that they'll switch to that new style. Apple keyboard that has replaced. So if you were to go to buy an Apple keyboard today, that, that one, I don't like that one. The keys mm-hmm. are very much the same as the ones in the new MacBook. My, everything that I've heard, I haven't heard that much, but I've heard little things here and there. And all, everything that I know about Apple and the way that they implement a change and roll it out tells me that we should absolutely expect all new portables to eventually get that new style keyboard. Just like if you went and bought an iMac today, it would have that new keyboard with it. Yep. So I'm, that's enough to make me want to get a MacBook Pro before the announcement. Oh, uh, sure, you sure, know? that makes sense. Yeah, uh, like I'm, I'm tempted to like the day before the announcement order one, and cancel the order if, if they oh. have. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm on the fence about it. But uh, back to the Adam thing. No, I don't use an IDE. Um, I used to. You do tons of work in IDEs back in the days when I was doing Java development. Uh, mm-hmm. There was one called, I believe it's called Eclipse. It was definitely called Eclipse. It was a monster. Yeah, I did a Running lot. Running that on that. an old Mac was rough. Oof. Java Java on a Mac used to be a pretty rough proposition. Yes. yes. But it wasn't, I mean, I'm being unclear. I think it ran on Java, but it was also used for Java development. Correct. But it was a Java-based It was app. Java, and you did Java development in it. And there was lots of, lots of drawing of lines and... But it didn't have the pluckiness of like no. home site. Like no. where like, part of what made home site so great was it was just it was so fast and yeah. Those those kinds of things are are now, I mean, does that change as a result of the kind of development you're doing where yes, Ruby absolutely. Ruby just doesn't require that as much like library stuff? I mean it, it 
it does in a way you're looking stuff up uh but i it's because yeah you know yeah you know what yeah the easy answer to that is yes i think there's you know you're still looking up methods like you always have to look up methods and apis and things like that but java is just so heavy into you know the 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 classing and the subclassing of things and and, and having an ide that can just know what you're probably wanting to type it, it saves so much time right comes more like writing probably yeah i think it does well, i mean like where you like autocomplete like where you know the huge. word Right, it isn't like you have to look through the whole dictionary to find a word. You just right. have, wanted to auto suggest, which shows you how much I know about programming. I'm super smart. All right, so Adam uh, also recommended. Uh, I don't know which one of our big topics you want to get to first, but this gets to the writing question. I'll just mention this in passing. Um, I was talking about that app that won't let you type anything but the most common English words, like simple English. Right. Yes, there is and another listener- one. Listener Baxter uh, pointed to something I've heard about, uh, never used, called Hemingway, and that's in show notes. And the Hemingway editor, you can basically go to this website and try it in, um, right inside the um, your web browser. But the idea is, okay, so here's, here's what it says on the tin. Hemingway, Hemingway makes sure you're writing bold and clear. It's like a spell checker, but for style. It makes sure that your reader will focus on your message, not your prose. So, I mean, I think it's a little bit like running... That, that dingus in Microsoft Word that lets you know if your Fleisch Kincaid right. clarity is there or not. Right. I think it's kind of like that. And it looks like they also have a version that you can buy on the App Store for $10. So there's that. Thank you to listener Baxter for that. Baxter! Uh, Baxter! We got, uh, we, got, I, we got two two-ish topics for today. Uh, can I mention what they are? Yes. Because I haven't told you. Um, uh, some uh, questions and interest in talking about ways to uh, improve one's writing. We talked a little bit about a concern we sometimes have about like, oh gosh, are we all trying hard enough at something like writing? There was a request from listener Minor Planet to talk about ways to improve your writing and I have some very specific tips. And then we also want to talk about the idea of the apparent move in lots of places to subscription-based services. And in particular, one of our beloved apps is now moving to a subscription service. Right. So those are two uh, potential topics to talk about. Are you, are you interested in these? I would love to do both of those. Before we do that, would you tell me about uh, a second thing that you like? I would like to tell you about a second thing, which in this case will be Squarespace. Thank you very much to Squarespace for supporting this show. They've been a longtime supporter of this show, and uh, for good reason, because it's, uh, it's a great show. And so thank you for, for today's show, Merlin. I'm just, I'm honored to be here. I mean, me too. It's a privilege. And uh, Squarespace came out, what year did they come out? Do you know I that? think it was, uh, it was around Star Wars, 1977, Let me look that up. You know what I'm, it was like to build a website in 1977? What you have was any it idea? like? No. Oh my goodness, it was so hard. You had to go, uh, you had to go buy C code at the Ace Hardware store and, you, and you, you'd bring it home. You know? And, and, and uh, you know, back then, Pearl hadn't even been invented, so you just had to make things complicated on your own. Launched Janu- January 2004, 12 years ago. Woo! And th- thank goodness that we got out of, uh, of the web design and development business because... If we hadn't got out of it before that, they would have put us out of it. Uh, they have created one of the best and most easy-to-use platforms to build websites. And it doesn't really matter what kind of website you want to build. It could be a blog. It could be uh, a really, really cool 
photo gallery site for your upcoming wedding. It could be a place where you have your business uh, information hosted, a great place for like, you have a restaurant, you want to put your menu online, you want to host a podcast, you want to, gosh, I mean, there's really unlimited what you can do. But what's great about it is you don't need tons of HTML skills or JavaScript skills, or uh, even you can even make a logo with Squarespace. Like from the ground up, they've built everything. So whatever it is that you want to do with your business or your, your website that you're trying trying to build or the iOS app that you've built, it lets you focus on the stuff that's valuable to you. It lets you focus on the things that are important to you without having to spend time saying, well, we've built this cool thing that we just want to get out there and we need a website. Now we've got to go and build a website. You don't. Let Squarespace handle all of this. And, and last week we were talking about the wide variety of websites that you can make and we gave baconmethod.com was relatively simple, essentially one page simple, clean website that tells you how to make bacon in your oven compared to MerlinM.com, which is a much more in-depth site that has all the stuff that you do. It's got information about your meetups. It's a completely... Both of these exist on Squarespace seamlessly. It's super easy to create them. You just... Also, Roderick Roderick on the line. That's right. Roderick on the line is, is in and of itself a Squarespace site. All of this stuff. So go check those sites out, but more importantly, go and uh, go to squarespace.com slash back to work. If you sign up for a year, you get a free domain name. You can make your logo. You can do all this cool stuff and use the code. It's your show. One word. It's your show. And you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Thanks very much to Squarespace for making this episode possible. Thanks, Squarespace. Um, I, I love our topics today. I just got to say I'm really into it. I guess I am. I, I, okay. So I'm, I'm into talking about this. If you're okay with this being a, a fairly, <laughs> a rambling meditation on trying to figure out the world uh, of subscriptions uh, today. Yeah. But I mean, the reason, the reason we're mentioning it here, I mean, we should just say, um, like one of my most beloved Apple based apps, I'm going to say of all time is uh, text expander. Uh, by Smile. And they just announced this morning that they're really switching things up. Oh, and yeah. that, so it used to be that you would buy Text Expander, you license it on, on all of your separate devices. And, and stop me at any point if I'm getting this wrong, please. Um, but that you would, you would license it to use on all of your different devices. But, you know, a few years ago, they introduced a neat thing where you could sync your snippets. So you would be able to. You know, and it did a pretty good job. You could do it through iCloud, I think, or Dropbox. I did mine through Dropbox, but it made it pretty easy to go in and have all of your snippets that would be, you know, text expansions for wherever you were. And so on iOS, any app that would use Text Expander would would honor that. So like all of my text editors use that. And I, I rely very heavily on this app. I really like it a lot. Um and so then they introduced stuff like the ability to share snippets a while back. And now, uh, will you do the heavy lifting of telling me the details on what happened today? Yeah. So basically, they came out with a new version. And the new version in, you know, the way that you could sync before with the version 5 and earlier was you could you could not sync at all, which I know a lot of people did not sync at all. You could... Sync. If you're just if you're just using it on your Mac, there's really no need for that, right? But by if, yourself, yeah, by yourself. But if if you are using it on multiple Macs, then you could sync with uh, with something like Dropbox. You could just put it on Dropbox and it would sync, or you could put I think you put it on iCloud as well. 
And that made it available to all your different Macs and also your different devices. So you could use it on your iOS devices as well. And this was really handy. But I think, you know, as as people started using this, there are a lot of teams that use this, I think. There are a lot of people in groups that use it. And uh, their their answer to, I guess, address that, to make to bring this out and make it something that uh, anyone could use without something like iCloud or without something like Dropbox and with Teams and other things like that, was to come out with a essentially a, a sync service. But it's more than just a sync service. It's, uh, I mean, it's like you, you get the app and then you have a, a plan. And the plan handles... And, and I mean, I, I think you... I mean, to use the app... You have to have the plan now. Well, you have to have a login. Right. I think if you want to upgrade to this... There's two things we should say that we should have said earlier. First of all, uh, we are friends with this company. Yes. They have bought many, many ads on this show. And, I, and so, I mean, this is impossibly complex. There's no way I could, we could recuse ourselves from this. Anything we say, you have to take with a grain of salt because we like these people, we love their product, and they have ads on this show very, very often. So, I don't know. I don't usually like to go into that stuff, but I feel like we should say that. Like, that's you should take everything we say with a grain of salt. For sure. But, but, but there is that. Now, the other thing that I think to understand is, just to get this clear, is like, so this new version, you can still use the old version, right. but there's no guarantee that it will be updated for future iOS and OS 10 changes. Right. If there's a bug, it might or might not get fixed. It, yes. Or just a change in the or way the you know, APIs work. But so what, what, what I'm getting from this is that you're, you need to go to TextExpander.com and sign up for an account. Yes. Um, and then you are basically going to pay a monthly or yearly annual fee Yes, you can pay it monthly or yearly. It's $3.96 if it's per month billed annually, $4.95 if it's billed monthly, and that is the individual plan, the team plan where uh, it, it, you you have multiple users who are all sort of connected and syncing and can even share the stuff among themselves, that is like $9.95 a month. Uh, or seven ninety six a month if billed annually. So, you know, if you're interested in in getting this now, the price to use this per year, the cheapest is going to be forty seven dollars and fifty two cents, which per, is per, per year per year for an individual account that you pay annually. Which is probably how most people I would think would probably go in and use it. So I was still waking up when you emailed me saying, hey, look, there's, wow, there's quite a dust up about this. Right. And so I, I, I just want to be clear. Like, I, I don't have anything decisive to, to say about this. It's just happened a few hours ago, but people expect us to say something about it because we talk about this app all the time. Yeah. And it's, it is certainly a very different approach to, to what they've done before. And so the, I mean, one of the questions I have is like, so if you keep using the old versions it's it's gonna work until it doesn't. This is the basic idea, right? Okay, yeah. So they, I mean, they it, really want you to they really want you to uh, to sign up. Is this okay that we're talking about this? I like that we're talking about it. I asked uh, on on Twitter Paul Haddad, who is the uh, one of the creators of Tap uh, Tweet Tweetbot. He was talking about it, and he's saying, "Man, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if this is going to end well." And I asked him when he tweeted that. I said, "Well, like, what what could happen?" You know, like you've got a pretty good insight on 
things like this. Famously, Tweetbot would charge for an upgrade now and then, and and became the you know the arch villain on the internet when they wanted oh, right. a little bit more money for a brand new version of their app. But right. uh, he he basically said, uh, I asked him, let's see exactly what I asked him. I said, How do you think it will end? I said, You have an interesting perspective. I'd love to hear. And he said, Here, Here's where, where he thinks it could go: reversion to old model, a freemium model lower monthly prices or eventual massive loss of market share. One of those, <laughs> but uh, right away when people were, were tweeting about this and I saw Vitici's tweet this morning, uh, which had a lot of responses. Wow. That's yeah. There was a lot of people who were really upset at this, who were angry. Yes. Like, ang- like full on angry. And they were talking about, well, here's other alternatives and this one costs $5. So you know, but it was, it was, I mean, just to my quick reading while I still had sleep in my eyes, it was, um, it was very emotional. Yes. It, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as the, I think this is one reason we're, we're mentioning this is because it was so emotional. It very. wasn't just a way of saying, mm, you know, that's too much money in my mind. Uh, I, I don't know if I'll use that or I won't use that. It was much more, it was a, it was a rage quit kind of thing. <laughs> yes, it was. It really was. And I guess, you know, like that just shows you how passionate people are about their workflows and the tools that they use and uh, all of this. Like it, people really, truly care and they care at a, at a deeply emotional level, the same way that they would care if, you know, you had a really pretty view and now there's someone bulldozing down all of the wildlife across from your house and putting up a condo and you can't see the beach anymore or whatever. Like, this is how people were reacting to it. And I, I understand that. Like, I really get that. But at the I feel same- that I feel that about all kinds of stuff all the time, you know, like, you know, Google had never overtly promised me that Google news would always be there. But to this day, I still miss Google news. That's just as one example. Like that yes. was a free service that I use. Yes. And like that's gone and I really miss that. When when terms and this is I think what we're ultimately going to get into. We feel like we we Dan and I, I I don't know, I can't speak for you, but I feel like we had to sort of at least mention this today because so many people are talking about it and yeah. wondering what we think about it. Uh but I, I think I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but I'm I'm interested in talking about what it what is happening with the world of subscriptions today, what it portends, what are the risks, challenges, benefits of that kind of stuff. I, I would be more comfortable talking about this in a week or two when things have settled down and we know exactly what's going on with this. But I know that I I am I, I personally I don't like getting that mad about stuff too much, but I understand. Because especially if you feel like I think when people I can't help but jump ahead a little bit here. If you think about the way stuff has worked in the past, it used to be that when you had you had a computer and you would go to a store or you go to Mac Warehouse and you would buy a floppy disk with a big blob of binary on it and you put it on your computer and you put in the little code and now that was your app that you bought, right? And you know, you, if you need support, you get support. But you know, in, in the same way that you might feel like you buy a sweater, like you feel like regardless of how long you choose to buy that sweater, there was this feeling of like, okay, I bought this thing and now it's mine. And I'm going to use it for however long. And so if, if that model suddenly changed and they discovered if somebody changed it to where the sweater that you bought five years ago or whatever, well, here's a new version of that sweater, but this is a terrible analogy. But I think that feeling of ownership has been important for old time, you know, computer users or not ownership, but like stake and brand loyalty and all that kind of stuff where whenever it seems like you're moving away from a model that's, that's easy to understand and what you're used to. And when it involves asking you for more money, that's naturally going to cause friction, regardless of, you know, even if you have warm feelings about that product 
and, and the company. I think that it's understandable that people are at least disappointed. I don't know if they should be quite so enraged, but that's not my pick. But I, I don't think I don't think the reaction is that surprising. I think it's interesting, and I think Smile must have their reasons for doing this. They must. I mean, and and I often wonder what the reasons are. Um, you know, is is the reason that they felt like they this would be a better service? This is a better way to do it. That they've had a lot of contact with their users who are asking them for features, and this is one of the ways that they thought this is the best way to address those feature requests. This is the best way to evolve the product. I mean, nothing, nothing stays the way that it is forever. You know, nothing is just released into the world and, and stays that way. And of course, you know, there's features that, uh, it was funny. Someone tweeted something about all the different formats, uh, the audio frequency formats that, uh, that, that their application that they were using supported. And it was, you know, it was a ridiculous number of, uh, when... You well, there, know, was, uh, there were several of those that were beyond edge case frequencies. Yes, and it, there's. There, I'm looking at them now, it hurts. And, you know, we usually use like 44.1. Well, there's a 768. Like, there are these crazy ones. And he's like, yeah, but like 768 seems like a real edge case. And I said, yeah, but you know what? Like, if they, that wasn't supported, there's like a small group of people who would be completely outraged that support for that frequency was dropped. And that's, you know, like you're always kind of walking the line. But I'll tell you what, I think I think it's safe to assume that switching models from I bought this thing and now it's mine to I bought this thing and or I didn't buy this thing, but now I need to pay to use it. Like sort of like creative cloud. Yeah, just like Creative Cloud. Uh, even even if it winds up being the same price or even if they've been able to look and say, you know what, uh, people generally upgrade once every two years or once every year or to every version or whatever. And this might save the money, even if it's going to save people money. I, I think people would reject it because it's a complete change in the way that uh, people are used to paying for things. I mean... Just to get the negative stuff out of the way, the other thing that's challenging about this for me, and again, I'm, I, I love this app. I've written and video blogged about this app. I love it so much. One challenge for me is that the apparent benefits of these features are not things that will benefit me much. Right. And I, I, wonder, I wonder if that's partly what other people feel too, where it's like, well, this thing works like the way it is. Like that's, <laughs> keep it coming that way, right? Yeah. But you know, but then we got to get into the realities of, of like the marketplace, which is, uh, I mean, God, where do you even begin? I mean, even if the Mac app store did not, was not so nutty balls about sandboxing. And even if the experience of the Mac app store were like five times better, like it's, it's like, how do you get your app out there? How do you, how do you get it in front of a lot of people how do you get it into a marketplace where more we're now we're moving more and more to the right side of the adoption curve? Yeah. The thing that we all have to keep in mind is that when when you have an app, whether it's on the app store or wherever, but especially on one of the app stores, you know you can't charge for upgrades on on the app store. Is, is my understanding? So you get the you get an app like Instapaper, which is there. I think on the day that the iPhone launched, that was part of I think a great part of Marker's success was he was there very early on. Where like you're in a great position, a better position to to gobble up a lot of the market share, where people are willing and back then to spend ten dollars on an app for their phone oh, yeah. to, to bookmark things, which I happily right. did. Um, 
But then over time, you know, so what do you do? Now those people spent $10 and now it's three years later. What do you do? And it's like, there is, go look at the reviews for anybody's app. There is no easy way to monetize the effort that goes into developing a new version of an app. There's no easy way to do that that makes everybody happy nowadays. It used to be like you described. I'm thinking about the days of what? Microsoft Office, uh, Norton Utilities, um, even like, you know, Illustrator and Freehand, like all of those, like there was a pretty understandable pattern, which was that every, what, year or two, there was a very, a new version of this with lots of new features and support. And then you would upgrade it for a certain amount of money. Right. But, you know, if you're a small team making an app, I mean, I don't think we're talking about 20 people here. Like if you have a small team developing an app or you're even like a one or two person development shop, like what are your options nowadays? What, you know, what do you do as this market has matured, as that app store is more and more full of these millions of apps like what are your options i mean i don't i don't think you any i don't think any of the options are good anymore they're certainly not clear it used to be too it used to be either you're a commercial product and you are a uh you're you're a product that has been shrink wrapped and put on a shelf or is available to be ordered on on the internet as a physical thing like or your shareware and and that was like that was how we did it for a long, long, long time. Right. That's and it's so interesting how there's been a must have been a deliberate attempt to just not use that word anymore. Right. Of shareware because you know if I think about like when I really got into the software part of you know getting stuff and putting it on your Mac, shareware. I mean that was you're talking about what was once a very very big distinction mm-hmm. where you would say okay there's an app you can buy for this like let's say a Microsoft app or there's an Adobe app I'm trying to think of the other big ones at the time but you could buy this big app or you get this shareware app and a shareware app eventually that became several different kinds of apps you talk about demoware crippleware all these different kinds of things <laughs> right nagware nagware um but like there were all kinds of apps out there that did a couple little things maybe not as as they didn't do something super important that you needed every day. There were a lot of utilities that you could mostly use on their own. Yeah, it, there was work. something sm- that felt small about shareware in the sense that, you know, like shareware was usually an individual person in their home writing it after work and selling it for five bucks. I feel like, you know, in the world of, uh, I was absolutely not in the world of Windows uh, Intel PCs, but back then, I, that was games. There were so many games. Oh, you could yeah. Go, you could go to a gas station and buy a disc with games on it. You know, for next, you could buy like these shovelware discs just full of shareware games because it cost them, I guess, virtually nothing but the cost of putting it on the disc, right? I mean, and people were happy to have the distribution. But then you think of something like, I want to say like FileBuddy, if memory serves FileBuddy yeah. shareware, you could yeah. mostly use it. And then, but but important to realize here, a lot of these apps, like you're describing, were side projects or were, you know, they didn't take the development resources of Excel, where a lot of shareware for a long time you could mostly use without paying. And that was what Nagware was. Nagware was just to keep bugging you to say, do you want to pay for this? I mean, shoot, Transmission still does that. Transmission still does the sure. pop up. But um, you know, like you're, like you're talking about, like buying it at a gas station, it seems so weird, but like there, there were these cds and discs before that mm-hmm. of just that that would have hundreds of apps on them which we used to call programs and yeah, you buy it, it would be like a, it would be a included with a magazine you spend five <laughs> right. or six bucks for a magazine like a mac mac world mac mac week kind of thing and there would be or mac user 
rather. Uh, and there would just be like dozens or hundreds of these apps on there. Yeah. And you know what? You there, you might have five out of the 50 that might be any good. And then you'd use them and you'd write. I mean, BB Edit You'll register it through uh, Kaji. What was the name? Yeah. Of Ka- yeah always, Kagi or Kaji. Or yeah. Still yeah. around. And, and then I think about stuff like BB Edit, where then, then uh, if memory serves, one of the big things that came along was the idea of the full version and the light version. Right. I guess later they had Text Wrangler, but it used to be you could spend X, X number of dollars to get BB Edit, or you could get the shareware version or like diminished version of that, which would be like BB Edit Lite. Right. And that was kind of a trend for a while. A long time, yeah. Right. But I mean, you know, there were still options for, for that. It's just now today, and I, I would like to expand this discussion to going beyond this to like what I'm just thinking of, and this is not a reflection on Smile, but just what I'm starting to concern, be concerned about is just subscription fatigue. Just there's so many services, things that are advertisers, other advertisers we have. There's lots of things where you spend three to $60 a month every month. And I just, I think it's interesting to think about what that economy is going to look like and what those benefits and challenges are. Yes. It's it's so weird because if I, you know, they, and we've talked about this particular aspect of it a little bit, but if you think about the challenge of, like you're saying a minute ago, of getting your app out there into the world, like the challenge of doing that, it should be easier than ever because we've got this amazing internet that we can all just use. We've got the, this huge infrastructure that Apple and Android and everything else has put together. I mean, like my kid now, he's starting to, to play games on the computer and there's Steam. And Steam, for those who don't know it, I'm probably going to do a bad explanation of, of, of what Steam is. But Steam is a, uh, it was created by Valve, the people who made like Half-Life and Portal. And it is both an app and an ecosystem that allows people, so on the one hand, it allows Valve and companies like that to distribute their games, but it also has digital rights management built in. It's also a social network. It's also multiplayer gaming behind the scenes. It allows things like cloud saving so that when you're playing a game, if you want to like stop, it'll save where you were that game state up into, into their infrastructure. But uh, and I was looking at this before the show. There's thousands. It says here's it, this is old too. As of uh, September 2015, there are 6,464 Windows games, 2,223 wow. uh, OS 10 games, and 1,500 Linux games. This is in uh, in 2015, uh, not even the end of 2015, but Q4. And all of these are available right there. And so what they have set up is. Very much like the App Store, you can go in and you can watch uh, a game and you can hit play and see their, the, the gameplay that goes on. You can click related games and it'll show you those. You can see people playing them. You can read about them. You can learn about them. You can see which games your friends are playing and how they're doing in the games. And all of this is, this is everything I think that Game Center's wildest dreams hoped it could one day be. But it's like this is a full-blown app and you buy everything right there in this game. So if you have a fun game and you want to write it, you can say, you know what? We're just making it for uh, Windows. Then that's fine. You put it up there and it will sell to people. Or you can say, we're going to make a cross-platform version. You sell it there and people buy it right from there. They can do demos right in there. There are games that are free to play that you charge. It's fascinating to me because this is a really, really big 
big business. And, uh, and I, I'm reading something else here in the notes. Uh, I was reading something else here in the notes that it said in October of 2013, uh, it was estimated by Screen Digest that 75% of games bought online were downloaded through Steam. That was years and years ago. Wow. I mean, it's just growing and growing and growing. This is a billion-dollar industry. So it's like, you know, but yet, like we don't have a physical copy of, of that game. It's well, just, you, but is there a, but also just to clarify though, when you're getting a game from Steam, do you subscribe to it or do you license it perpetually? You, it's, it's the same as if, at least in my experience in the games that my kid has been interested in, it's a traditional thing where you're buying the game, you're not, you're not paying to play the game, although I think there are some like that, but typically you're buying the game and it downloads and it's on your computer. But the nice thing about it is, let's say your computer is, is destroyed. You can get a new computer, install Steam, download your games, and it'll cloud sync back to those save points again. You can, you know what I mean? Wow. It's, and it's so it's like, it's in a sense, it's almost like iTunes in that way where you have your music in the cloud and then you, that doesn't matter. You hear it on all your devices. Same kind of a concept. But like, you know, again, it's different in that you're not paying for, uh, for a subscription to play a game, but it's interesting to me in another way because I almost feel like I would rather pay to play a game, especially where my kid is concerned, because I know once he beats the game, he's not going to go back and play it. I know there are people who are like, oh, just beat it now. I'm going to go to the hard level and play it at extreme level. Fine. But like, even so, most people, they buy the game and they play it. And then once they've beaten it, unless there's really immersive multiplayer stuff going on, that oh the game lasted for twelve hours six hours I played it I'm now I'm done with it you want to go mm-hmm. back and play it again like you could pay it but I would I think there would be a huge business in paying for like a month's access to a game like it's twelve bucks to get this game for a month I would do that mm-hmm. but this is a whole I mean the whole philosophy of this has really really changed and maybe that's what the text expander folks were thinking in that you know this is something that 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 people want to move to look at netflix look at hulu look at you know look at getting access to things we can uh, creative cloud did it microsoft is doing it this is the future but i'll tell you what if you told me all of a sudden i was going to have to pay to use text edit uh textmate rather every month i'd be like well i'll just i'll completely switch over to sublime text or i'll switch to adam or i'll i'll use anything else right, right. even though it's my favorite because I'm not paying per month for that. That that's a thing that lives on my computer. That's mine. Like that's how I feel about it. Hasn't Creative Cloud done pretty well? I thought they've done very well. I would have to look it up, but I think it's been a very successful move for them. That seems like with my old brain, that seems like that would never work. You know what I mean? The idea of right. Because I'm so absurd. used to like getting getting the big box in the mail from Mac Warehouse with the the 35 discs for Illustrator in it or whatever. I'm exaggerating, but. I mean, this is way too big a topic for one day, but it's it, it's it's interesting because um, it, it kind of coincides with several things we've off topic ish things we've been talking about for a while, having to do with things like subscriptions. And I'm I'm just I guess I'm curious. Oh, and the other thing that came out today now, Stars. The I guess I, I always think of them as being a TV network I don't watch, but I guess Stars is a source of much TV and movie stuff. Uh, Stars has now launched their own over-the-top service, like Showtime and HBO. That was just announced today, right? And it's weird because I remember the there was an announcement 
I feel like there's an announcement maybe last year that Stars was pulling out of their deal with Netflix and that previously Stars had been the source of a whole bunch of the shows on Netflix. Do you remember this at all? Not re Yes, you know what? Now that you mention it, I do remember that. And that was back when like, oh, Netflix is going to suck now. This is before they were doing a lot of their own independent content, right? Yeah. I think that's right. I, I, I don't recall, but I, I don't know. I guess just the general thought on this is like, I, you know, I, I think about something I did, I started doing a few years ago was in the app that I use to track spending on things. I went in and manually created a new category called, um, I think it was called repeating subscriptions or web subscriptions or something like that. And uh, I haven't checked it in a while, but I'm now I'm kind of scared to, because there are, there are so many things that, just our repeating charge every month yes. as, as our friend John Roderick likes to say, it's just another eel attached to you. But like, <laughs> I mean, I wonder it, it's, I don't know. I'm just very interested in like where this is, where the subscription model not only just is, it makes sense, but is actually the perfect fit and what kinds of places it could be challenging and risky to get into and kind of what that means for, for us consumer folks. I mean, do we really like right now I'm paying for Hulu HBO, as far as subscription stuff, Netflix, Hulu, HBO. I pay for those over the top. I have Amazon Prime, which means I get Amazon Prime stuff. Right. That you now, can do see you, on lots do you, of devices. Do you do that more for the Amazon Prime content or are you using it because no, not at all. And, yeah. No, no. And, and the thing is, I haven't plugged in my Fire TV in probably three months. So I don't even see it. Um, the last time I did, I think, was to watch Man in the High Castle a few months. Uh, a couple months ago. And then on top of it, now I'm, I've got this PlayStation view service. Um, I'm trying to think of other things like that. I, I, like I say, I bought an Apple TV app that works with my home run to be able to see broadcast on Apple TV. So I don't, I don't know if I really need exactly that and view, but I mean, (laughs) it's, uh, all of those things, like it's, and then, then especially to look at something like the PlayStation View, uh, some you might have seen on Twitter today. I've been going back and forth yeah. with some folks trying to figure out exactly what the rules are for View because it's got some strange restrictions that I find a little difficult <laughs> to understand. I'm just I guess I'm just wondering like wh- where this where a subscription model makes the most sense, and, and for that matter, what it even means to have a subscription. Like if you subscribe to one of those services that sends you a box of stuff every month. I mean, isn't that kind of different from like paying for shared hosting or Libsyn? Is that different from how we pay for an app? Those are very, it's more like the way you buy your phone, where you're more like subscribing to your phone. Mm -hmm. When you go to AT&T and you get it for free or cheap or subsidized, you're really, you're amortizing that over this amount of time. So I don't know. I guess I'm just curious. I guess the two things I'm curious about are where does this model make the most sense right now and who's doing it great and then what are the what are the risks of this becoming something where oh then I'm not even talking about Apple Music, right? I got Apple Music. There's that too that I'm paying for. So I don't know. I mean that adds up, you know? And uh Well it adds up and it adds up pretty quick and it adds up in a way that you don't really think so much about it because then you also have to think in think you know, like you mentioned Apple Music, like Spotify is another one. And there are all of these services that we pay for that we use a little bit and that we don't use a lot and you know it's like the same thing with leasing a car versus buying a car you know like for we usually have bought cars but there were times when i leased one and it 
you know, it feels right. like you're just sort of throwing the money away when you're leasing it, but you get to have this like really cool car that you don't need to worry about maintenance or anything on. There's definitely these advantages to it. But like if you canceled your Netflix subscription, like none of that content is yours. You've paid for it and either you take advantage of it while you have it or you don't. And there are a lot of people, it seems like, who are totally okay with that. They're okay not owning the thing that they have. They're totally okay if you know, if, if they, they, they pay for the use of that and then, then when it goes away, they're, they're done. Right. And it almost, yes. And it almost helps to break it down even further to distinguish between a service that you subscribe to where you get this exact, mostly exactly the same thing every month for this amount. Right. Um, and that doesn't change very much. So for example, like, well, I guess it's not exactly true because I mean, the stuff that's available on Hulu changes all the time. But I'm thinking versus something like what I would just call a recurring revenue model of some sort. So like if you're using like with your phone service, if you go over on your bandwidth or something, you could get charged more. But I'm also just thinking that of like as against something we really feel like we understand, like uh, electric, gas and water. Right. Like we may not like what it costs, but that electric, no matter what we're using that electric to power, it always costs the same, mostly per kilowatt hour. Yeah. I mean, at, you know, at a given time. But I mean, it isn't like you subscribe to a different water service just for things you cook on Christmas. Like, I know that sounds bananas, but I mean, that's the thing. It's like, think about Tidal. Like, Tidal's value proposition seems to be, yeah, there's all these celebrities you like that run it. Yeah, you get this higher quality, quality yeah. version you can pay for. But in almost all those cases, it's the exclusive content, right? Yeah, it's or the, the, the content that's there that comes there first. And, at a, you know, because we just saw Kanye's thing, he, right. he was, oh, it'll never be on Apple Music. Well, now it's on Apple Music. It is? Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. He said, oh, it will never be on Apple Music. And then it was either the end of last week or beginning of this week. I saw it on Spotify. And I'm like, oh, why is this song on Spotify? I thought it wasn't going to be on Spotify. And it turned out that a couple days later, not only was the first single there, but all of a sudden the whole album is there. And... You know, like, well, what does that mean? I don't know. And I, I, for a while, I was thinking that we were really seeing the future of of that in that we're going to see these different places competing to get artists and exclusive artists and that they're, that the, the, you know, record labels are so not interesting anymore. And what we're going to see is this rush to, uh, to stream this content and that the new re record labels for the future are going to be different streaming services. And like, you just go and make your song and like, where do you, where do you put it out? You know, I was talking when I, when I got to do that interview with weird Al, uh, I was, talking to him and he was saying you know the days of like because he's apparently still on his same first record contract like his very first one just they kept extending it and extending it and now yes, he's like same cbs contract from like yeah, 1983 yeah, or whatever yes, yes and he's basically saying like i'm i'm not gonna you know i'm not gonna renew it because you know when he's there and he's like you know to go in and get an idea and and record a song and release it like if you have to go through that kind of thing with a record label it takes forever whereas he could like record it in a weekend and get the or however long it takes and right. and release it like two weeks after the song premieres on the radio he could have his version out you know if he was doing it independently and so it's just it's very you know the way that 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 artists are capable of releasing information and getting their 
music or getting their work out into the world is completely different. But at the same time now, there's I feel like there's this sea of content and it's so hard to know where to go to get that. So it's like you're saying back to bring it back to the app store for a second, you know, like you would think that, well, I'll go to the app store. All the good apps for Mac will be in the app store, right? They must be there. They must be there. Like that's because it's Apple's app store surely, for my Mac. Like, surely that's independent developers that have been developing for Apple for 20 years must be putting all their stuff on the of app course. store. Of course. Like, what? where else would you put it? Duh. Right. But of course, we know that's totally not the case. And uh, the, in fact, I, I would say that some of the very best apps are, are not there. And yep. it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And it, you know, it's the same thing that like, if you're you know, that's fine for Radiohead if you want to go and release an album and, and just sell it on your own on your own website. Right. But how how do other folks who are making good music do it if, you know, they just want... And, and no one's making any money from streaming music. Like It's the, bad. It's no bad. one's making money. And this is not even getting into, now that I'm really opening my mind up to this, this is not even getting into things like Patreon, right. uh, Kickstarter various kinds of membership services and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, the, the thing that all these have in common is like it, there, there time was that you would go to peaches and buy this album by the knack and you had that album and now that was your thing. Right. But I mean, really, even from the time we started buying software, I mean, how many of us have ever actually read the EULA on, on software? No. Because it's pretty, it's pretty hilarious. No, You know, it's not suitable for any purpose. You know, you don't actually own it. But I mean, the, the difference is that now there's, it's getting harder to understand what it is that we are actually buying, where we can use it, when we can use it, for how long. So you're and, almost saying that, that the EULA, in a way, is almost like a, a very, very long-term type subscription. <laughs> I guess kind of, right? I, I don't, I don't, I don't know, but... I, I'm just, yeah, this is way too much ground to cover in one episode, but I guess I'm just trying to figure out like where it makes sense and where it doesn't. I mean, there's all kinds of things that seem like a natural fit. Like if you want to make a casual iOS game that wasn't that difficult to make and you can charge 99 cents and pay your bills, like it obviously, that makes sense to put on the iOS store, right? right. If you're offering a gas and electric service, it makes sense to, to have a meter on somebody's house and charge in that particular way. You wouldn't want somebody to say, I'm going to give a flat $200 a year for all you can eat electricity. Like that, that doesn't make sense. Um, it makes sense for somebody like CGP Gray to say, every time I put out a video, people who are in my Patreon can support me, so, you know, and send me whatever $5 or whatever. Every time I make a new, um, substantial, uh, video, um, those all make sense. Uh, one of the things that I think is interesting to think about, yes, there's the part about like, gosh, how do artists, you know, get paid for their work? But the other thing is it's the, the discovery, discoverability is getting more difficult because, you know, it used to be that, I don't know, I don't want to say it used to be that, but I'm trying to think of all the apps that I've used for years and years and years. And there were some that I definitely bought just on the face of it because I knew I wanted it, but there's a lot that I would use for a while and then pay for. But like, I wonder, like, is it for somebody like Smile, are there going to be as many people signing up to try this app mm-hmm. given the way that it's being sold would, would be my concern. It's one way to monetize the, the super fans like me who will happily pay whatever it costs. But I wonder what the risk is in terms of bringing in new people if you have to sign up and get a login and stuff like that. 
It doesn't that seem a little risky? It does. It really does. I mean, that is off-putting, I think, for a lot of people. That, oh, now I need to sign up for something. Especially when it's not totally clear how it's going to work. You do get the 30-day free trial to try it out and do you know, do the thing that you want to do with it and try and see if you like it. But after, like in, like you were saying, in order to just to try it, you still need to make that account. Right. And, and I, I mean, you know what? I'm okay. I'm okay with that. I'm perfectly mm-hmm. okay with that. And I think there's a lot of services out there. I, I don't mind if I'm signing up for a new service and I'm going to get a 30-day free trial or I, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee where if I try it and it, I don't like it, I can cancel my account and get my money back. Like, all of that's fine. I'm totally fine with that, but I, I, I totally understand that for what we think of as an app as opposed to an online service, you know, like if, I mean, uh, like if, um, I guess a comparison could be like Squarespace. If Squarespace wanted you to input your credit card information initially and they said, we won't charge it for 30 days or there's a money back guarantee. If you're not happy, you just click here and they refund it. Like it's an online service. You know, if you want to use Spotify, you, you enter your information and you start using it. And when your 30 days is up, they start charging you. Like I get all of that. But I feel like people still think of Text Expander as this is an app that will be on my device, on my computer. Right. Why am right, I creating right. an account for it? Why am I paying a service charge for an app that used to cost money and now it's free, but I have to pay? And I think it, it confu- it's confusing enough that some people might just walk away from it. Well, like with something like Netflix, I mean, Netflix is, gosh, maybe one of the nearly canonical services that like, there's a lot of people sign up for. Like if you like watching TV and you have an okay fast internet connection, I would make the case that it's that if you're going to subscribe, if you're going to get one service in your house, whether you've got cable or not, if you're going to get one service in your house, I would argue that Netflix is a good one to get. Yeah. That would be the one I would probably get rid of last. I could do just fine with Netflix because they've got they got tons of great movies. They have tons of good, you know, original uh, TV shows, old TV shows. I, I mean, they have every season right now anyway. Of course, this changes. Right now, they have every season of Parks and Recreation. So we make back what Netflix costs. I feel like we make it back like within a day and a half just watching Parks and Recreation. We've seen so many, I think we've seen every, every episode and many of them multiple times, right? So Netflix is like maybe one example of, well, yeah, I can't, I actually can't think of a better way to do it. To the point where <laughs> my kid and I were walking home from school the other day and I don't know why I feel the need to explain things to her or tell her about the past. But I was like, it's like, you know, did you know, do you know how Netflix started? And she didn't care, but I kept talking anyway. She wasn't listening, mm-hmm. but I was like, it used to be with Netflix. You would sign up and the package, you could sign up for a package where you could, you could basically have, they would send you, she calls them CDs. Um, they would send you a, a DVD or as she calls it a CD, right? It'd send you a CD in the mail and you could watch that one movie. And when you were done, you sent it back and you had a queue. We're talking about just a few. This was Netflix. It's incredible how they transformed. I think we had the three disc plan, which allowed huge amounts of extra <laughs> right. guilt for all the movies you weren't watching. Right. But like in that case, you know, we were really lucky to have this super fast center down in, I want to say like San Jose. So we would frequently get movies flipped around in like basically like a day or two. But what a different model. Think about how different that model was of like, here's our, here's all of our stuff. If you, if you want to watch Deadwood, you're going to have to, well, that's, that's three of your discs or those three Deadwood discs. And then you send them back. That, that feels like something from a hundred years ago already. And I remember when Netflix very first came out, do you remember how terrible the streaming Netflix streaming came out? Yeah, Do you remember it was how terrible really it was? 
in the same way that like Amazon Prime was when it first came out, like it was bad. I mean, it was it was shovel. It was shovels and shovels of stuff. Nobody it was basically what I used to say was Netflix streaming used to be all the stuff that led to me canceling cable. It was all of those undifferentiated whatever channels showing whatever. And now today, I think it's the premier service. And what am I paying? What, 10, 12 bucks? I don't know how much it costs. But like, that's the easiest money I spend every month. I mean, I derive a huge amount of value from Netflix because it is sensible. It is currently unmetered. It is currently covers a lot of, covers a right. lot of stuff. Many devices as you want. That one feels like kind of a no-brainer. Yeah. I'm a little on the bubble about Apple Music. I mean, I don't like the apps. I, I actually like the service and I use it a lot, but I mostly use it to listen to the same five albums. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if that's such a great one. <laughs> right. So like if you just bought the five albums and Which, loaded and them on your devices, own. right? Yeah, exactly. I'll just buy Zootopia and we'll just listen to that Try Again song, Try Anything <laughs> song over and over. But then, then you get to something like this PlayStation View, which I'm really torn about because on the one hand, it's, it's incredible to have all these channels. I'm still completely perplexed about how the PVR or streaming or whatever functionality works, like what you can watch when and where. People have widely reported that when you try to watch it on an iPad outside, so with this view service, we've talked about this many weeks now, you sign up for N dollars a month and you basically, through your PlayStation, you get PVR-ish cloud functionality to watch lots of what we used to call cable stations. Right. So, you know, when The Walking Dead is on, I can watch The Walking Dead. I can say record it every time it's on. It's recording Seinfeld for me. Uh, setting aside that I find it confusing what's available and when even in the system. The other thing there is, like, that's to watch. They want you to watch that on your TV at the house. So right. if you go outside your home network on an iPad, there's some, there's some things that aren't available. There's some things that they say are there that aren't available. It's very, very confusing. But I think I'll end up keeping it for a couple months because it's not that much money and it's still cheaper than cable. But I'm, I'm not sure where I'm going with this, Dan. I just I, I think there's some things you look at something like Netflix. That's kind of that, that to me. That's a no brainer, honestly. And I, I, I forgive me because they are actually a uh, an advertiser on this a sponsor this very episode. But Squarespace to me for eight bucks a month, I think I still think that feels like a pretty good deal. I guess there's other places you could go for that, but I don't know. Um, I wonder when we're going to tip on this stuff. I, I, you know what I don't think? I, I think now I'm starting to see more and more why this is hard for Apple. There are so many different constituents in this over-the-top game, and everybody's going to want to take the biggest bite first. I mean, if Apple had an, like an over-the-air TV offering in particular, like, oh, what do we think that would look like? What would that be? Would it be like PlayStation View? I don't know. I, w- I want it, though. I want, you know what I mean? Like I want, yeah. like I want that. I want that thing. And you know, when you, I was thinking about this the other day is like, we've been talking for so long about, Oh, wouldn't that be the most amazing dream in the whole world to be able to just pick the things that we want and then watch those things. And the more I thought about it, the more I kind of said, well, maybe not because besides the fact that it's going to be so hard to figure out what those things are that we think that we want to watch. You know, like, how do we find them if they're all separate and all just out there? Right. The The other part of it is, you know, you just went through this set of things that you pay per month for. But, you know, if everybody's counting on Patreon or some donation system, if everybody is selling their stuff individually, 
then what do you have 50 subscriptions to stuff or 30 because you watch a different show every night? You know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, well, what eventually become like, like an index fund where you go and like invest in indie artists as you say out of my $200 a month apportionment, this percentage goes to these kinds of independent bands. I mean that, and, and then don't we just sort of have channels back again when you do that? You know, like I don't want that. I don't, I don't, you know, there was something nice about the old days where you just would pay for HBO and you knew that like you were you and your family collectively were going to be delivered a set of, uh, of of shows that you like along with a bunch of movies. And you knew that like all the big movies that you weren't able to see in the theater would eventually come to HBO. And then they started doing independent programming. And we had like, I don't know if you remember. You it, <laughs> yeah, right. And I mean, there was this point in time where we had the the Sopranos, Six Feet Under, my wife watched uh, Sex in the City. Sex in the City, yeah. And, and, uh, and I feel like there was one more. Oh, you had Mr. Show. Mr. You Show, had Curb Your Larry Enthusiasm. Sanders. Yeah, right. I mean, they were all like at the same time, like you had all of these great shows, plus all the different movies, plus they had sporting events sometimes, like boxing. Other yeah, things. tons of sports shows, yeah. Yeah, and, it, and, and it's like, whoa, that for whatever 25 30 bucks a month whatever it was like yeah i want that you know yeah. and 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 now it seems like well if if you want to watch uh this series you're going to have to buy that one series and you're going to get it from this service but it won't work on this device so keep that in mind and this other series you have to pay for this other uh, this other monthly fee to get it over here, even though it's the only thing that you want, but it's must see. You must. Or see in the it. case of Hulu, like with Hulu's still so complex because there's a lot of stuff we like watching on Hulu, like uh, tons of great Cartoon Network stuff on there. But like you know, like I'm paying for the commercial free, like the commercial free version at whatever I pay twelve dollars a month. It's it's worth way more than double the cost of the free version. I mean, it's <laughs> that twelve dollars a month, like that. That watching, I would never watch that with commercials just because it's, it's, I mean, I hate to sound fancy here. It's just that in that case, like paying for that service and getting those junky commercials feels really obnoxious. I can kind of live with that on the PlayStation view. I don't love it, but it's not that terrible. Um, but like with HBO, like I'm, I'm on, I'm on the bubble every month with HBO. Yeah. We got because I don't, I mean, I watch John Oliver. And what else do I watch? I'm not a big Game of Thrones person. Uh, so, I mean, that, that one's it's not off the table. But, like, I, I'll, I'll go into that terrible app, that awful app, and I'll just be like, what is in here that I can watch? Click, 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 click. And it's just like, here's, like, it's like, like all of these networks. Like, here's, a, here's the stuff that you're probably here for, and then pfft, here's everything else. Right. Here's this big pile of a bunch of movies and TV shows. I did watch Deadwood. I started watching Deadwood again. And it's kind of neat to just have that all right there. It's perfect for binge watching. How does it hold up? Oh God, it's extraordinary. I love it's that so show. Good. That well, yeah, you heard I've they're doing it. a little. They're doing a, a movie or a... Yeah, that's what they say. Yeah. yeah, that's what they say. I'll believe it when I see it. But you know, hmm, I don't know. Um, could you tell me about one more thing that you like, please? The last thing I would like to tell you about today is Wealthfront. Wealthfront. It's W E A L T H front. It's a really cool service. I'll tell you about it. Anybody should be able to invest their money. That's, that's my opinion. Wellfront <laughs> shares that opinion too. But here's the thing. If you have a little bit of money, hundreds, thousands, not millions, and you want to invest this, 
you're pretty much on your own up, up until Wealthfront. You've been on your own. Because the really great kind of financial advisor stuff, these what they would call wealth management professionals, they wouldn't even talk to you unless you had like a cool million invest. And when you do it, they would take at least 1%, if not more, per year in management fees. And you think, well, 1% is not that much. It actually is a lot. And it adds up very, very quickly. And you're supposed to be saving money, right? But what are you going to do? You've only got a couple thousand bucks to invest or a few hundred to invest. And you know, my my like older friends when I was just starting out always used to say, oh, it's, you know, start, invest now, invest 50 bucks a month or whatever. Just get, get that money invested. Man, if I had invested $50 a month when I was your age, you know, I, I'd be a millionaire now. Well, the reality is like, maybe you will be, but how do you get started? Wealthfront is different. It's not like for short-term active, like day trader kind of stuff. This is a, a nice place for you to go and put some money aside. You could start with as little as 500 bucks and you can put that in there and you get access to their really, really awesome and they, they have come together with some of the brightest people to put together these algorithms and really smart people to manage the money, reinvest the money and they do all of this so cost effectively. Here's the deal. Listeners of this show, you go to wealthfront.com slash five by five, your first $15,000 will be managed entirely free of charge for life. So in addition to never paying any commissions to Wealthfront ever, and there are there no hidden fees, you also won't pay any management fees on your first 15000 Usually if you don't have this uh, promo they've got going uh, for us, it's only ten k Now fifteen k What a great way to get started. You don't ever have to worry about a thing. Go to Wealthfront.com slash 5 by 5 and uh, check it out. Thanks very much to Wealthfront for making this show possible. Thanks, Wealthfront. It's a lot. You're right. It is probably more than than we could do in one show. Yeah, and I, I mean, because I, a lot of this is still just just a lot of thinking out loud. Where you know, it's it's like like so many things when uh, when times change and developments come along, it's it takes a while of things, several things being a little bit different before you notice patterns. And I feel like it's really in the last year that I've started to notice these patterns about things around subscription and just the awkwardness of of some of these changes. Because if you think about the way stuff has gone in the past, um, I don't know, let me put it this way. I, I guess it's it's hard for me to see, right now anyway, it's hard for me to see the future where every where lots of people are, where a lot of people are subscribing to many things at $10 a month to get TV. Yeah. I just, in the way people's mind were, I mean, just go look at the app store and like the, the, the reviews that people leave when somebody puts out a new version of the app you paid $2 for a few years ago, people's minds are, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm just thinking about it a lot. I should dump this HBO. I probably don't need it. Dump it, dude. I dump mine. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But then I still find myself thinking sometimes, like, I mean, I wonder what other stuff like, uh, like this movie, this movie headhunters, which you should watch. Um, uh, I just come across these things sometimes and it's like they're, they're in there. They're sometimes they're buried in different places. Um, I don't know. Where, where do you think, what do you think is the best in terms of like subscriptions for entertainment? What's the best money you spend each month right now? Oh man. I mean, honestly, I'm answering more on behalf of what my kids watch. Uh, for them, it would either be Netflix or Hulu. For me, it's, it's, Hulu because I watch tons. I watch something probably every night on Hulu. My kids watch stuff on Hulu constantly. And 
I don't love Hulu. I certainly do not like the Apple TV Hulu app. It's that is that is a not very good app in many ways. It's so bad. Even just, I mean, let's let's do a whole show. I could do a whole show on my own for an hour talking about how bad that app is. Like it doesn't. It doesn't. It's one of the ones that should accept deep links, but it doesn't because it first has to get you through that. Uh, Flash intro page yeah. where you look at Mindy Kaling while it downloads new shows. That's so dumb. Nothing against Mindy Kaling, but like I, I really love that ability to search at a high level from Apple TV and then go straight into the content. And that rarely works. And then also just finding anything in there is just brutal. Finding anything in there is brutal. And also you, uh, you, you wind up, okay, so like after you finish watching a show, maybe it could suggest the next episode. The, the following episode and not nope. got to no, menu up. <laughs> no, nope, you got to menu up to do it's it, it or go back to the series page like every time. I well, know. Maybe Netflix, should, Netflix does that pretty well. Yeah, they're better. Oh, no, it's it's excruciating. Well, it's funny because if I think about like the, you know, in the trenches, day to day usage and I, you know, I realize this says bad things about my character that I watch this much TV, but I do. And I'm thinking in particular, you think about the the iTunes movie and TV apps. You think about the Netflix app, which is not bad, but you know, you think about the HBO app, you think about the Hulu app. I'll tell you one thing, almost all of those ha- have in common in my mind. Um, it really feels like those were designed to manage the content uh, of us, of us to manage a, a content that has about one tenth or one one hundredth of the amount of content that's actually in there. That whole thing of like flipping through, you know, postage stamp, images of like all the things like whether that's the the death march of moving through episodes in itunes tv or whether it's trying to find like literally anything on hulu or going through you know what i mean it's just that those interfaces work for like the itunes store circa 2010 but like today wow it's 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 pretty rough and i mean hbo i have to really single out as being very pretty and extremely difficult to use I mean, did you ever experience that? Like where you get, you're just drilling down and down and down and down. It's like, no, look, listen, I always want <laughs> totally. to watch John Oliver every week. Right. Is there any way that you could remember that? But I, there's like three levels of drill down and scrolling. You got to go to series. You got to go and you got to go down and down and down to get there. And then you got to say, oh, no, no, season three, please. Got to change that to season three. It sounds dumb, but you know, it's, it's just, it's such an anti-pattern to how we think about, you know, how we want to do stuff. At least with Netflix, it remembers stuff you've recently watched. It's been good at that. But I guess we should wrap up by, um, we don't have time for writing, I don't think, this week. Um, Listener Minor Planet. Listener Minor Planet, uh, go get a book called On Writing Well by William Zinzer. It's a book I'd like to talk about again on here. But as far as like the whole like smile and text expander thing, like, I don't know. What do you, what do we, what do we want to say about that? I don't know. I feel, you know, I feel a little bit on the fence about it, I do kind of have uh, a desire to wait and see a little bit and see exactly, see exactly what happens and where it goes. And, you know, the, the unfortunate thing, well, I mean, the, the upside for them is that I think they have the best app out there in this space. Uh, So the upside is, you know, they, they make the best product. But there is competition, and for somebody who's not totally sure or who's not all in, they might come back and say, "Well, you know what? That 
I'm going to go and try this $5 thing. And yeah, it doesn't do all the stuff that I like or all the stuff that I want it to do, but it does enough. Right. So it becomes a, almost, almost not, not Sherlocking exactly, but you know, the, when we talk about Sherlocking, yeah. you know, you always think about like, well, this, and actually Jim and I did an episode about this on the Dalrymple report where like, I had this idea that Sherlocking almost doesn't really exist. That what are we, what we call Sherlocking is often not what the real concern is an app, Apple or otherwise, an app that comes along that's, that's either free or incredibly cheap that does most of what a premium app does. That, that, that to me is what Sherlocking has come to mean in my right. head is like an app comes along that like, you know, reading list, even though I, I've never used reading list, but reading list takes off is just enough to go like, okay, well, that's a feature I can tick off in this bullet list that people are less likely to go and pay for something like Instapaper. So, I mean, what, gosh, I feel bad because, you know, I really like this company. I really, I love this app. I mean, if it's not obvious, I love this app and I want them to succeed and I want them to do well. But, and, and the thing is also like if they decided maybe that this wasn't, a great idea and they want to change their mind. I mean, they seem pretty bought in with this approach. Yeah. This doesn't, no, this is, this is it. Like I can't, I can't, I I don't, I don't think this is going to get walked back at at all. I don't see how they could. And maybe, you know, maybe like as crazy as it seemed, (laughs) maybe as crazy as it seemed when we were like Adobe, what are you thinking? Creative cloud. How dumb is that? Like that's stupid. That, Yet that's what everyone wants to use, and and it's very very successful for them. So I don't know. Yeah, the thing I keep thinking about now, though, is you know, it it seems to, when you're doing an app and you're selling an app, whether through in-app purchases or for a certain price, you know, it seems like there's this problem that most people run into, which is like, let's even say that you're lucky enough to get a lot of purchases and fans in the early days of your app. Well, they paid for that right, app, right. whether that was one dollar or two hundred dollars they don't really want to have to pay for it again. Most people, a lot of people don't want to have to pay for it again. There are folks like me who are like, oh my God, yes, TweetBot, charge me again. Like this is a different app. Right. I, charge more. I wish you could have an upgrade for that, but I guess that makes sense to Apple. The thing I think about increasingly is this weird kind of market shaping that Apple is probably unintentionally doing. And mm. I'm not trying to say people are dumb or something, but like if you went to the app store, of like this amazing computer company, you go to their app store for their iOS devices and go look at what's featured, what's top, what's everything. It's a bunch of like, like screaming medieval guys with weapons. <laughs> like it looks like a page designed for 11 year old boys, right? which is I guess good because maybe that's who's buying those things. But the thing that's one of the things that's always distinguished Apple for me, we've talked about this so many times is that Apple's so great at deciding who they want to be their customer. And like in the short to medium term, I can see that being a way to make lots of money on the app store. But like, you know, what other new users are going to come in and see that or see what the environment is for apps and maybe feel like it's not for them in a way that it probably would have felt like it was for them five years ago. Yeah. It's hard to go into the app store and figure out like where you, what's, what, what's really here for me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you can't try stuff out. Like that's, you know, you, you, uh, I mean, most people who have even like two versions of the app, I don't know. I, I find it so dispiriting to go to the app store these days. It's pretty depressing. I, I flat out never go. I mean, I go to get the updates. That's it. Well, there's just so much stuff on there that basically feels like spam. And like, n- no offense to our friends in the former Soviet Union, but you'll just see these dozens and dozens of apps with these like uh, Eastern European and kind of you know Slavic sounding names. And it sounds like there's some machine 
you know, somewhere outside Moscow that's just spitting apps onto the app store. It's really strange. I ho- I'm sorry. I hope that didn't sound racist, except that is kind of a thing. If you notice this, where you'll go and you'll just see all these things that are named like other things. And they're all by these, the same group of people yeah. putting out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of like lookalike apps. It's weird. It's so weird. But like, yeah, I mean, Apple, who does Apple want to be their customer right now? It's hard to say. I mean, it's probably not, probably not the same that it was a few years ago. That's, God, no. You know, that's the weird thing. I don't, I don't know. And you I know, what, like we all think, not to interrupt what you're saying, but like, I feel like we think that Apple is guiding us to something greater. We feel, I think, collectively as people who have used Apple products for a very long time, most of our lives, that we feel that like Apple is somehow a greater good because look at their stance on privacy. They said, F you to the FBI. You know what I mean? Like they're yeah. clearly doing the right thing. They're clearly have us and our best interests in mind. I think they do most of the time, mm-hmm. but they are also like a company that wants to make money and they're, you know, they're, they're absolutely doing things for the greater good and they're doing things for uh, us that we like and to protect us, you know, the, the end to end encryption with messages, all of the stuff that they do for our privacy better than probably any other company out there is doing. So these are really good things, but I don't believe that they're guiding us to a greater good per se. They're guiding us to the kinds of products that they want us to buy. They're showing us what we need, you know, and yes, they are showing us what we need and that's okay. But I just, I don't feel like they are, this great, perfect, benevolent, purely benevolent entity that occasionally makes a mistake here and there. And, you know, I, I feel like they're making products and, and, and they want us to buy them and that everything that they do is to get us to buy stuff. And that's perfectly okay, but just call it, call it what it is. And the, the fact is, I don't think they really care about the app store. Cause if they did, it wouldn't be like this. Oh, I don't, I, yeah. I mean, this, I imagine a lot of that must have to do with resource constraints, but yeah. I mean, uh, yes. I mean, yes. And, and, and we all have all read, um, the miracle man month and we all understand constraints and things like that, but there's no reason if Apple wanted to, that they couldn't invest more money to create better solutions or more time to do it's simply not a priority for them the priorities are you know the iphone se and then the iphone 7 and then you know new ipad the priority is getting these things into people's hands and i i feel like there's much more of the it's good enough attitude in apple than there was five ten years ago um you know i'm in some ways like you know that there the comments that were made when the which what was the VR headset thing that came out the Oculus Rift saying yeah. that oh well, you know we'd we'd make software for it to work we'd make it work with Mac if if Apple would make a Mac that was fast enough for it and you know that's kind of well wait I thought I thought Macs were the fastest well no they're they're not the fastest they're still the ones that I like to use best but they're not the fastest and so like there are there if you, we're we're in a very tricky situation right now where we prefer the Apple stuff and we like the Apple way. And if you go all in with it, it'll work pretty well most of the time. But they're, 
you know, they're just a company. People, they're just a company. And they're doing this for the money. Right. So, you know, if if the app store was a big source of income for them and they thought that it it would be a bigger source for income for them if they were to change the way it worked, then they would change the way it worked, but it it's doing just fine for them. Otherwise, they would fix it. If they thought it wasn't working, they would fix it. Right. Did you see the article uh, going around about, uh, this is kind of off topic, but it was about um, like what Americans spend on the lottery every year. No, how, how much? This is from The Atlantic. Derek Thompson. Americans in the 43 states where lotteries are illegal spent $70 billion on lotto games in 2014. Man. That's more than America's Americans in all 50 states spent on sports tickets, books, video games, movie tickets, and recorded music sales. That's crazy. Isn't that one of those things where you kind of, that's kind of like a whoa. Yeah. <laughs> kind of moment. <laughs> right. But you know, I don't know why I'm thinking of that, but I'm thinking of like, you know, one thing Apple also has done historically is to train us on what's coming next. And and the thing I was going to say a minute ago was that like, who is Apple's customer? There's a part of me that feels like the person I imagine being their customer today is a male sophomore at a state college who's planning to become a social media manager. <laughs> Where like, you know, you get, you get your MacBook one, like with, the, with that keyboard you don't like and the one port and it does everything you need because you're listening right. to Apple Music and you're if you want a game, you're going to get it on your iPhone from the App Store and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, you know, and I, I don't have any more information than what I can can guess, but like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that they seem to be making lifestyle products for young people. Not, and I don't mean that to sound disparaging. I don't mean that at all. That's, that's people who have interest and money to spend on these things. I just wonder what their long-term strategy is for this stuff. You know what I mean? You mean long-term strategy in the sense of like where Apple is going to be in a five-year, well, they, they ten-year? Well, they used to, until, until even, I would say, up into the iPhone period, Apple was in the business of turning you into an Apple fanatic yeah. and an Apple evangelist yeah. from the earliest days where you know, it was this, this crazy and expensive, weird little computer. You know, definitely through the Macintosh days, the, the classic sort of Macintosh days, it was like a cult. I mean, oh yeah, you really... didn't just, and people, people who don't remember this and people, a lot of them weren't around for this time. But like if, if you were a Mac user, like that was a really cool club to be in, but only cool very to those weird. of you who were in the club, you know? Yeah. And it was it's a, very it's a toy. Weird. It's a toy for designers, basically. Right. We've gone over this many times, but you know, even all through, think about then in the time of uh, iPods, where gosh, how many people? Some iPod was probably the first thing that many people bought as an Apple product, and yeah. people were fanatical about iPods and the iPod ads and those iconic white headphones. And I'm going to say even up into the iPhone, where the iPhone was a status symbol, right? And the apps that you got, and the wallpapers you got, and all those kinds of things became very much a part of the big Apple brand. Was like you had this growing army of people walking around like how many other companies can you say that for the people were that excited about having you see that they use and love this thing i mean there's been things like that like what like probably tivo at one point virgin america at various points there's times where you're like you're very excited about a brand where it kind of verges on religious um kind of cult-like <clears throat> experience and i'm trying to think about like not not that things you know shouldn't or can't 
changed. I mean, obviously they're a big company now. They, there's, but like, what is the, what is the product like that, that people, that is both the unimpeachably, unimpeachably best thing on the market today and something that people are still just ridiculously excited about having? Maybe the iPhone, kind of. Yeah, but maybe. Like, I mean, are there, I mean, there must be fora, forums out there for people who are Apple TV super fans. There's probably, there's certainly people who love their iPad, but it's just interesting. I'm just, I'm just, there's a part of me that wonders like who it is they're trying to delight right now or, or put more saliently who they want to delight five years from now. You know, the app, the, yeah. the, the watch, yeah, you know, mm. wasn't quite the banger everybody expected, you know, iPad sales not going great. And I'm, I'm not trying to make this about dollars and cents. It's just that if you are an Apple person, you are constrained by that ecosystem and you have to make, you know, decisions accordingly. You know, there's not, you can't do a pull request to go change the way your Apple TV works. Like you're, you're in that universe. So I don't know. I think it's an interesting thing to think about when I, when I see a product sometimes in a non-sarcastic way, I will sometimes ask, I wonder who this is for. Like, I wonder who is really, really excited about this, you know, whether that's a baseball card or a Slurpee or a comic or whatever. I try to think about like, like whose day was made by this product today. Right. Well, you know, I'll like I, say, I, 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 you know, you mentioned the Apple watch. I, I bought one and I had it and wore it a bunch and we've talked about it. And then I stopped wearing it and I didn't miss it. Yeah. And I started wearing my regular watch again, either the Casio or the little Timex one because I have kids and they, things happen. So I don't want to wear an expensive watch. And I found that that was even better for me because it was less of a distraction. It didn't keep distracting me. And no, I don't know how many steps I'm taking a day right now. And that's all right. And when I'm doing a workout, I'm not able to sort of see, did I hit the heat, you know, the, the peak heart rate, but that that's okay too. And I sent it to my mom and she's, cause she was thinking about buying one. I said, well, let me send you mine. And if you like it, you know, then you'll, you'll get a better idea. And she's, she's like, okay. And I'm like, and by the way, like after I send it to her, I'm like, you know what? You can just keep it if you like it. I don't need it back. And she's like, that's a very, she's like, that's a very expensive gift. I'm like, well, you know, first of all, like you raised me and, you know, there's a lot you've done. So I'm not, I'm not like counting, counting money, but like, if you like it and you think you'll enjoy wearing it, you should keep it, you know, because I don't, I didn't really want it back. And that kind of surprised me. Like, mm-hmm. I, because this was the kind of thing I thought I would really, really be into. And there's so many people that I know that have them and that just, just totally love them. And I realized, and I was tweeting about it and a couple of people, you know, said in the sort of snarky, uh, mean Twitter way, maybe you're just not Apple's customer anymore, you know, but in a way, no, I, I guess I'm not. And, and they say it like, that's a, a terrible a terrible thing. Like you suck if you're not Apple's customer, but like you're being like you're mutinous. Like, yeah. Like I'm, I'm a, you know, disloyal. I, I, I shouldn't be in America <laughs> anymore either. You know, I should just pack my bags and, you know, go to a, a, another country because I don't, I don't want go back everything. to Europe land, you know? And, and like, I'm, I'm fine with Apple stuff, but I'm no longer, you know, I'm no longer one of these people who's like, you've got to try a Mac. It's so much better over here. Come look at this. Look what we've got. You know, it, I don't feel that way anymore. I like, I don't, I also like, I remember, gosh, probably five years ago, I was talking to somebody at one of these bounce houses. It was some kid party and, you know, the parents kind of congregate out of the way on the side. And I was talking to someone and she was telling me how, you know, they're all in with Android and this is, 
this is back before Android was like decent. Like people would argue it's not decent now. It, it is. But th- this is back when it was really not cool. And uh, and she's like, oh, well, you know, we use this. We have the Android tablets, which had just come out at the time. And, you know, so she's just talking about all this. And I'm like, wow, you don't know what you're missing on like the Apple side of, of the world. And now I don't know if I would feel the same way. You know, I, I, I'm more open minded to people just doing other things. Because I'm do I want to do other things. <laughs> I don't know if that means anything, but well, it does. Go. It does. It does. But it's also getting to this this thing that's way too much for this episode. Where you know we've been thinking about subscriptions and these models yeah. and all these kinds of things. But you know, I I look at myself and I have trouble knowing why certain things are happening the way they are. And I have my guesses. But I used to listen to so much music all the time. Um, yeah. As recently as, you know, during my kid's lifetime, I was still like, you know, especially when I was writing or something, like I would just be listening to music all the time. And like, so what, what can I tell you? I can tell you this. I can tell you that today I listen to podcasts a lot more than I listen to music. Me too. I don't, I don't buy music hardly at all anymore. No. I got these streaming services. So what caused that? Is it because of my age? Is it because my kid got older? Is it because my job changed? Is it because these models changed? I don't think it's any one thing. All I can do is look at a snapshot from 2016 and a snapshot from 2006 and see a marked difference. Right. Like even when I was doing podcasts, even when I was like in that case, like still on Mac break weekly, mm. there weren't that many podcasts to listen to even. But anyway, I don't know. I'll, I'll, but sometimes just it, it's most perplexing to just be aware of the change. Even if, even if you can't always point to what it is, but you know, we're sitting here still as much as we try and bracket at least for myself, as much as I try and bracket this in terms of, okay, I realize I have, this certain amount of experience with these kinds of ways of, of getting media, I, I still can never fully account for people who are 20 years old and what their view of the world, how different their view of the world is. Mm. So somebody who's 20 today uh, was never alive when Kurt Cobain was alive. Oh, wow. So somebody born, you know, who's 20 today was born in 1996. That's somebody who's like a grown ass person, like yeah, who's, right. in no. co- who's in college and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, so CDs hit their height of sales and then began their rapid decline when they were in preschool. That's something to really think about when we think about, well, this is how we've always done it. And I think these collectors are always going to blah, blah, blah. It's like the whole paradigm is just, is so different now. It's just, there's just no telling what's going to happen or, you know, what, what people expect, what people will put up with, what it's all, it's all just, it's so impossibly different. It's hopeless. We don't have a chance. <laughs> you can try and find that uh, trampoline episode of Shusha. Yeah, I found it. Put it in the show notes. Trampoline episode. Five by five dot TV slash B two W slash two six six. I hope, uh, I know this has been awkward and weird and not very well thought out, but um, all I can say is that I am very grateful to Smile for uh, everything they've done and will continue to do. And I, I hope it goes great for them one way or another. But I hope this hasn't been too weird to talk about this. It feels strange to talk about somebody who's such a friend and a sponsor. No, and I mean, I think that we've been, you know, clear about that and that we like them and that that we're just kind of in it because we care. I mean, that's how I feel about it and it's it's a very interesting topic at the same time and 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 they're they're maybe they're setting a trend they're blazing a trail like you know we don't know we don't know Hmm. just on my mac on this particular install on my imac 
saved me uh, 19.83 hours using uh, Text Expander. Wow. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. All right. Well, uh, we better button this up. All right. If you okay, want. Mella. I mean, if you want. I want to. I want to. I have to mm-hmm. urinate. All right. Whatever. I'm well. I love you. I love you too, I guess. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. 